I'm Tass Mellis of The Starters. This is Ben Golver with the Open Floor Podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff. I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. Hey, I'm Elena Donon, and welcome to the Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch Podcast. Welcome to a special episode of the Double Clutch podcast. My name is Josh Coyne and in this instalment I take a turn away from the ongoing NBA bubble and the surrounding activity and into an interview with a pro with a very, very interesting career. Kevin Ware was a four-star recruit early in his basketball career. He played under Rick Pitino at Louisville and has since played basketball all around the world. Most recently, he landed on our side of the pond to sign with the London Lions as they make a run at the Champions League. I spoke to Kevin about his impressions of London, his high school basketball career, being recruited by Louisville, his famously gruesome injury in college, the subsequent recovery process, speaking to LeBron and Michelle Obama, playing in front of the furious crowds of Greece, and the perception of European basketball in America. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Kevin Ware. Welcome back into the Double Clutch UK podcast with me, Josh Coyne, and I am joined by the latest addition to the London Lions, Kevin Ware. Kevin, how did this new challenge come about? Oh, man, I was actually fortunate enough to be able to get an opportunity to play with the Lions through my agent, Nunu Pedresco. Say he had a lot of ties, you know, in London and just with them playing in the Champions League and everything this year, he kind of felt like this would be the perfect fit, you know, for exposure purposes, for me to really get my name back out there and just playing good basketball, you know, being around other good players too. You know, that's kind of been my main thing. I know, like, when I was in Canada, I was around a lot of talent, but this is by far, like, the most talent I've been around since I was playing at Louisville. So I'm really looking forward to it, man. It's going to be a, a real, real big challenge, like you said, but, firepower we got right now you know I kind of I kind of like our chances a lot and and you are speaking to me from London now um, obviously under very strange circumstances but what's your first impressions of the city since you arrived man it's giving me that New York vibe you know I'm originally from New York and you know it's, it's like super busy they got us like uh, like in Tower Bridge Allgate area you know like real and downtown in the city, like, man, I love it, honestly. You know, I kind of feel right at home. I got a, a uncle that lives in Southampton, so he's between here and Southampton a lot. You know, I really like it here. I really, really do like London so far. I know, you know, a lot of things are quarantined or shut down, but from the restaurants I've been to, the food's amazing. You know, they say people are rude here, but everybody's so nice to me, you know, so I'm really liking it, man. I really do. Yeah, well, they said the same thing about New York. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> right, you know. <laughs> so maybe you feel right at home for that reason. Who knows? Um, right but at home, man. You said that your uncle lived uh, lives in the UK. Had you actually visited the UK before? Um, I've never been to the UK. 
I've been to like a few places nearby, but this is my first time in the UK and it's really, really dope. Like I really have been missing out not coming here. I really feel like. And you uh, recently spoke to our friend of the podcast, uh, Mo, from the Hoop Genius podcast. Um, for a number of reasons, you're well known to the basketball fan base here in the UK. Um, have you received uh, much feedback since you arrived from the UK basketball fans? Um, I have a, a, a little bit, but I kind of feel like my uncle's a lot more popular here than I am. You know, he played actually in the BBL for a few years and a lot of people know him. So I've had maybe two people so far stop me on the street like, yeah, you're Kevin here, right? Your uncle used to play here, like that kind of thing. So it's been cool though, man. It's real dope. I haven't got the full, I guess, love because quarantine and everything and trying to figure out what's what, but I'm, I'm loving it, man. I really am. Cool. So you've got some big boots to fill in terms of your family. Oh man, most definitely. <laughs> that's an understatement, honestly. So that's a really good way to go into kind of where I want to go back in time a little bit, um, where where your love for basketball really began. Who put the ball in your hand and kind of fostered that love for the game? Honestly, I would say I did. Uh, I would watch, you know, my dad would take me to like Rucker Park when we were living in New York, to, like go see some games. But at a real young age, you know, I just always watched my uncle play professional basketball. And that was just something like I wanted to do. Like I wanted to play basketball. I saw Magic Johnson and a lot of those guys that like, they were watching back then. And it just always was a fun thing to me. It was always taking my mind off other things, you know, outside of basketball. And still to this day, it's helping me mentally with a lot of different things that go on in my life. And you, you obviously stated that you are from New York, but you had an admiration for people like Magic Johnson. Who was your team growing up? Were you a Knicks fan? Uh, Knicks? Nah. <laughs> Knicks is terrible. Uh, my dad used to always take me to the games, though, when they had, like, Allen Houston and Patrell Sprewell and guys like that. But when I really started, like, watching NBA basketball, I would say – not going into like the classics, but like Gilbert Arenas and Tracy McGrady. I wasn't like the biggest Kobe fan because he was always winning everything. My Kobe love came kind of later in life, but it was more so like guys that were like dogs, like they really just played hard, played both ends of the court. I was a real, a real big Brandon Roy fan at the time too, like a real big Brandon Roy fan. Vince Carter, guys like that. So for you, it was more about following the players rather than one specific team. Yeah, uh, it was. It wasn't a team back then. You know, I just picked up little things from each player. Like I feel like a lot of my passing and why I love the pass so much came from Magic Johnson and watching like Jason Kidd. And then when I got my athleticism, it was watching guys like Tracy and Vince. You know, so it was kind of just meshing everybody into one. I kind of feel like because I, I I didn't have like a set team back then. I would say. You would, you'll find actually that a lot of the people who uh, fall in love with the NBA over here uh, on this side of the pond, they also feel that way, obviously, because they haven't got a regional reason to get into a team. They fall in love with a player and maybe that will make them follow that team as a result. So uh, exactly. you'll find that a lot over here in terms of NBA fans. But you guys, um, Sorry, you later in your high school basketball career, you moved to Georgia, I believe. Is that when you really started to consider that basketball might be a really significant part of your future? 
Oh, most definitely. Um, when I was in New York, it wasn't that I wasn't good, but it was just like a bubble of so many different guys, same height, same game, that it was kind of like you really didn't stick out. But once I moved to Georgia and I played my eighth grade year at Stone Mountain Middle School, uh, you could just tell the difference from me and a lot of different guys. And I honestly didn't even believe I was that good until I just had the freedom to play my own game. You know, that just kept transcending, kept transcending. And ninth grade, it just got better. You know, I went to the to school in the country somewhere, Rockdale County High School. I hated it at first, but that's probably one of the best things for me, just taking a regular school, the state, state tournament, state championship, doing things like that kind of really built my confidence and just kept going from there. And you touched upon, you know, the bubble of people within New York. Uh, New York is generally famed for, you know, somewhat flashy point guards, maybe. Is that right. specifically the kind of style that you're referring to that didn't quite Most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Like, I was flashy to a point, but I just always, even at a young age, I just tried to play the right way. You know, like, I really didn't do too much. A lot of people call me, you know, like, I do a lot of dribbling moves and stuff now, but that's just from the fundamentals. I kind of feel like just putting all the work in. Mm -hmm. And you obviously then were recruited by a legendary college set up in uh, Louisville. What was it like to have such a big institution uh, consider you in the first place? Well, before we go to Rick, I got to give a shout out to my guy, Bruce Pearl. You know, we, I wasn't able to go play for Bruce. I really always looked forward to that. But when Rick came to my home, I want to say I was I was coming back from like a trip from somewhere with my friends and like it was it was just different speaking to him like you know it was a he held himself to a certain statue and I really didn't see it and and at, I didn't see it until I actually met him in person. And then when I, from the conversation we had to him just you know telling me I'm not gonna come in and play right away just because I'm this top kid in high school, it was like a challenge to me almost. You know I came to the campus and. Campus was lovely. It's a beautiful campus. You know, I recommend anybody going to school, honestly. But it was just one of those situations where I kind of feel like this would be the perfect fit for me. They were a real defensive-minded school. And I thrived, you know, on my defensive abilities at the time. So it was honestly the perfect, perfect situation for me, from the assistant coaches to everybody in, in the organization, from the players, everybody. Yeah, and obviously there are um... – uh, some details that are kind of worth swerving around uh, in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but, but beyond the obvious recruitment side of things, what was it like working for a coach like Richard Tino? Oh, it was amazing. And just so everybody know, I didn't have any strippers, you know. I didn't have any strippers on my recruiting trip. So as far as I know, those are just false tales, honestly. But playing for Rick Pitino, you know, he, he just holds you to a certain standard that, I kind of feel like a lot of coaches give you more freedom, but with him it's the system first, and then you get yours within the system. And I kind of feel like that's what got us our uh, national championship when we did win it that year. We had a chance to win it the year before, but Kentucky had a powerhouse that year with Anthony Davis and Marcus Teague and a lot of those guys. And we just knew that next year, like, nobody was going to beat us. You know, we just had that hunger because Rick kind of installed it in us early from how hard we were working just to the games, from film, to everything. We knew, the, we knew the end goal already as soon as we lost in 2012. Yeah, and I, I'm myself, I'm a Boston Celtics fan uh, over here. 
Um, so when I think of Rick Pitino, I immediately think of that press conference that he gave. He gave. Was that something you ever looked at or was that ever mentioned? Uh, which one are you talking about? It's the, the one not the one. You can go ahead. It's the one where he says, um, you know, Larry Bird's not walking through that door. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door. It's, be it's become really famous among Celtics fans. I, I did see that one. Yeah, <laughs> I did. It's a classic. Um, so obviously there's, once again, there's some things that we just, are, that's not even worth talking about. But how do you feel in terms of the, um, personally, in terms of emotionally, how do you feel about a large portion of the history of Louisville kind of being erased from the history books? I mean, the, the NCAA can erase it, but everybody hates the NCAA, you know. Um, it's just one of those things where we were just put in a tough situation, but everybody in the world knows who won that, won the championship that year. Everybody in the world knows I didn't just have a, a fake injury, you know, like people can say whatever they want, but the, the proof's in the pudding. You know, you could go Google it. We're still popping up the same. A lot of my guys still got their rings. I'm pretty sure all my teammates still have their rings. So they could say it's expunged. We don't have the championship, but, at the same time, you can't take away what we accomplished. You know, everybody in the city knows how important that was for us, along with everybody in the city, honestly, because everybody really was behind us that year. We worked hard. You know, we had some off-the-court issues, but that had nothing to do with the players, you know. And you mentioned uh, the injury a moment ago. Um, it really, from a basketball fan's point of view, it really is one of those moments when you kind of uh, remember where you were when it happened. Um, me personally, obviously I watched that uh, game in the Elite Eight in 2013. Um, it truly was one of those situations where you just never forget it, uh, watching it. No. I, remember the, I remember the moment, even at my low level of basketball playing, which let me tell you, Kevin, is very much underwhelming. Um, I didn't <laughs> practice for like two weeks afterwards because it's such a non um, event for such a gruesome injury to happen. That really is one of those plays where you've done it a, a million times over and over. Um, were you made aware of any specific reason why it happened on that occasion? Honestly, no idea. Um, I know like some people asked if I had like shin splits or like if I were having any knee pain or like anything like that, but it was truly just a freak accident. Like I remember Shane messing up the rotation and he kind of nudging me to go contest the shot. And I guess maybe that – I don't think that nudge gave me, like, an extra boost to jump a little higher, but I kind of even tipped the ball, like, after he shot it. So I was extremely high, you know, and I just came down full velocity on my leg and just gave out. You know, I know we were working really hard, but we were working out, lifting, doing all that stuff for recovery. So it truly was just a freak accident, you know, even after the fact. I didn't feel any pain. A lot of people thought it was adrenaline, but even after my adrenaline cooled off, you know, it was no pain, you know. And I honestly don't know what to say about it, you know. I, I've seen the video. It messed me up for a little bit, but after a while, you know, I just – I had to realize myself, like, Kev, it's, it's never going to happen. You block millions – not millions, but hundreds of shots the same exact way you contested this shot. So it was just getting that confidence back, you know, and – kind of showing today you know because I still go and block shots still do the same thing I was doing then so definitely passed it for sure well that is a you know that shows great mental and physical toughness and I really admire it um 
did, at any point did they um I, i'm guessing they kind of covered all areas but was there a certain kind of testing that they did to kind of uh, check the strength of your bones? Because it did feel as though it was a very strange way for your leg to react to that moment. But like you said, it could have just been that extra momentum from the jump. You mean like after the fact? Like if they checked After the anything? fact, yeah. Um, it was just, I remember doing like a lot of the basic strengthening things for my, uh, like my quads and the build up to my leg and, I would just always get MRIs. Like that was the main thing going in, seeing the beyond the soft tissue, making sure the bone's healing. And as we just kept doing the progress on it, we would just gradually do more stuff and do more stuff. And I got to give a big, big thank you to Fred Hina. You know, he was our sports trainer at the time. But without Fred, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been able to get back in six months. And even though I got back in six months, they thought that was too fast, you know, but if it wasn't for Fred, I definitely wouldn't have been able to recover that fast. That's definitely the best trainer I've ever had. So since then, obviously, we've seen a number of um, injuries across the sport where kind of people have had a similar reaction around the player who has been injured. And, you know, it does go viral or whatever. Um, the one that comes to mind is Gordon Hayward's very different injury, but a very serious injury. Um, is that one of those ones where you hear about certain players going through things and then having to have a long recovery from a shocking injury? Have you ever reached out to any of these guys with words of support or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I did send some some words of encouragement to Paul George. Um, Tyler Ennis had got hurt overseas. I remember hitting him up. I reached out to uh, Paul George as well when he went through his freak accident. I kind of feel like I, I was the one that started, <laughs> you know, like I started it and then all these guys started getting this like football injury because I, I had spoke to Joe Theismann, a uh, football player. I want to say he was a quarterback, played back in the day, and he had like the kind of the same, same accident I had, you know, it was, it was in the pants, but you could, it was literally the same thing. And a lot of people thought it was more common for football players to get that injury. So when it started happening in basketball, it was just kind of like, man, like it could happen in any sport kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. And, and you say that you started it, but you also started to kind of prove the point that you can come back from it. And that probably right. means a lot to a lot of people. For sure. I know NBA guys, they take like the full year, you know, they completely rest for the season just to fully recover. I think if I could have, I probably would have just sat the whole year because I had like my own personal motivation going on at the time, which wasn't a bad thing. But I definitely feel like I rushed it, not to where I hurt anything, but I could have built it up even more. I could have built my body more. I could have got into other things at the time. But everything always happens for a reason. That's really my motto, you know. Yeah, and speaking of which, you know, the team went on to win the championship that year. How much did that mean to you? Uh, I mean, everything. Honestly, because if I would have just got hurt, we would have just been back in Kentucky, you know, soaking and mad and hoping for the best. Because I know when I went down, a lot of guys were just freaked out and you know, all that stuff, you know. But my main thing was looking around was like, man, we just try to get these guys some cold as quick as possible. And that's why, I, like, everybody was, like, gives me kudos for just winning the game, just telling the guy, just play, don't worry about me. But, nah, that's really how I felt, like, Forget me right now, you know what I'm saying? We still got a whole second half. Y'all win this game, and we'll worry about everything else at the end of the day. But they did go on and 
beat the living mess out of Duke that game and kept going and played Wichita and played Michigan. I was just happy. You know, I was more so disappointed that I couldn't play in Atlanta. That was my hometown at the time. But like I said, everything happens for a reason. You know, they still lowered the nets for me so I could go down to the net. So that was really dope. I really appreciated that. Yeah, it was great to see. And you mentioned some of the messages you sent to people, but what about the messages of support that you received? You shared a really wonderful um, story about Kobe Bryant uh, this week and how he um, reached out to you when you needed it. Um, who else did you receive any support from at the time from the basketball uh, world? A lot of guys. Uh, Kevin Durant, LeBron reached out. Mari Stoudemire reached out. Um, the biggest one for me well, it had to be Michelle Obama. I know a lot of people were telling me I was like really like drugged up at the time, but like, oh, sh Michelle Obama called me. Like, <laughs> that was like a big thing for me. You know, that was probably the, the highlight. For, you know, I always tell everybody I never had time to just dwell and be sad for myself. I was always getting motivation from other people. I was always having motivation in myself that man, it's just a freak accident. It's just mm -hmm. a bone. It's no ligaments. It's not your ACL, MCL. You just got to strengthen your bone and you'd be right back to normal. So now you just have the former first lady's number. You guys just talk about basketball whenever you want, I assume. Man, I wish. Did Michelle see this? Michelle, call me. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think you've got some pretty rough competition there, Kevin, to be honest. But, you oh, no, nah, I don't want Michelle. <laughs> Super I'm respect just... to Barack, you know. Yeah, that would be dope, you know, to have a, a sober conversation with Michelle Obama. Man, that would be, be amazing. Awesome. That'd be awesome. It's one of um, people that you look at up high, a higher period, you know. So we touched upon your um, amazing recovery, um, and you've gone on to have a really impressive career. You know, in comparison to so many players that would have been put in that situation, which once again, like I said, is a testament to your love of the game and your toughness. But um, without the injury, um, what do you think that your ceiling was beforehand? I was on the boards. <laughs> I just started playing my best basketball. Like when the Big East tournament started, a lot of people were just talking about me. And it was more so what I was doing on the defensive end that had a lot of people like, wow, this guy can really play. And then they see I can actually play offense. Because I was always kind of like that third guard behind Peyton and Rush, you know, and it was that was just normal. I'll come in and play my 20-something minutes and they'll finish everything out. But when the tournament came, I remember Peyton going, Peyton getting in foul trouble. Uh, I remember Peyton getting in foul trouble against Oregon. And, you know, I had a really good game against Oregon. And that was kind of like, all right, people really starting to talk about me. I remember Charles Barkley making a comment, like, yeah, Louisville just lost their best guard, things like that. You know, it was, it was more so disappointing that I didn't reach that, you know, just because of the injury. But it was never something I dwelled on, you know. I had I probably would have never been able to travel the world and been all these places I've been able to go if I had made it to the NBA. Who knows? But I like the route I'm going now, honestly. Yeah, and you spoke, you touched upon that in 2016. You played in both Finland and Czech Republic, so you you really began your professional career. How much of a culture shock was it to end up in countries like Finland and the Czech Republic? Man, I love Czech, but Finland. Off the back, that was tough. You know, I was in a super small town. I always tell everybody, though, I'm super thankful for Kyle Yoki giving me my first job opportunity. Uh, the coach, Sammy, we didn't, 
he didn't think I fitted the system well enough. Coach Juicy thought I did. and He's got like a couple championships in the league now. But when I left Finland and went to Sheck and it was more city-like and more people and more interactions and things like that, like I felt like, all right, now I'm, I'm starting to experience my OC experience. And I kind of play really well, like really well in Sheck. Yeah, and um, were you in Prague then, if you were in the big city? Uh, I was in Bruno, so I was about not too far from Prague. I think it was an hour and a hour, maybe hour and a half. It wasn't too far at all, but Bruno was like, I want to say not this. I want to say it was the second biggest city, but I'm not 100% sure, but they had like a bunch of different like nice scenery, castles and stuff like that. It was really, really dope, man. Like, and then going to... Uh, Greece the following season, you know, I'm like, okay, now I'm starting to see <laughs> the overseas experience really. Yeah, it was it's beautiful over here, even in London. I know London's giving me more like a, a city vibe. Uh, I've seen like the, the Tower Bridge and like the castle and stuff over there, but I know I got like so much stuff to explore here now. I really can't wait. Yeah, well, yeah, you certainly have. It's a great city and there's a lot to do, but you spoke then about your um. Uh, your time in Greece. So obviously that's when it kind of really stepped up a notch. That was in 2017. Um, the Greek Basketball League is no joke, is it? Nah. <laughs> I think we played, was it Panthinaikos? I think Panthinaikos was like one of our first games. I was just like, sheesh. God, okay, this is your league. I see what they mean by the, the separate. You play in your league, but you go play in this other league too. You know, I, I definitely saw the the skill level changed. You know, we had a pretty decent team, but Panthenaikos, Olympiakos, like those teams were loaded, man. Like so much talent. And I kind of feel like even now, that's like we got a lot of talent like that over here in London. Man. Like, so much talent. Like it's going to be scary playing these Champions League games. And obviously in Greece, they had a lot of talent on the court, but they have the additional secret weapon of unbelievably crazy fan base um, what was it like playing in front of the crowds in Greece I want to say I don't think it was a preseason game it must have been like some type of cup game where we were playing a team from like division down we had to go to their gym man like I've never seen nothing like that people in there lighting torches and stuff like going crazy I'm like yo we gotta play in this crowd how are we gonna win this game we ended up winning the game, and, like, the fans and stuff were, like, pissed afterward. Like, they were so upset. Ended up almost fighting one of my teammates. Like, it was crazy. But I'm like, I love stuff like that. <laughs> it gives you the extra really edge. Yeah, it makes you want to play more. Like, people not on your side. And then when you do got fans that are just as interactive as those guys, it makes it, like, for a great experience. Like, I know I'm, I'm a big Chelsea fan, so I want to go to – I know it can't go to the Chelsea games right now, but I want to experience that type of football game, you know. I've been yeah. to a few Greece games in Greece, but I know, like, the fans here are crazy. It definitely is. The, the crowds over in Greece, it looks as though the football fan culture has kind of been absorbed by the basketball um, teams. Right. Um, mm. And I feel, I feel like that's something that you probably had to explain to some guys over in the States that it really is kind of a unique experience. Um, yeah. you, I almost clicked off this chat, Kevin, when you said you're a Chelsea fan, but you know what, I'm going to let it go. You know, we can... Ah, hey, everybody kills me when I say that, man. <laughs> <laughs> and what it was, I, 
I started playing with them on FIFA, man, and actually started like seeing like, all right, these guys are actually good. I saw a couple games. I'm like, oh yeah, it's, it's good. It's my team. Chelsea's my team. <laughs> it's an ex- exciting time to be a Chelsea fan as well. They just got they just got Timo Werner. They're getting Kai Havertz, and they've got a lot of young talent. So I actually think they'll be contending. In oh, the young guys. Yeah, yeah. I was looking yeah. at that. Yeah. So, um, talking about Europe, how do you feel about some of the skepticism over in the states, and especially with like NBA audiences around European players? Because we're seeing a lot of people that are way more surprised than they should be by Luka Doncic's brilliance. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you think we've got a long way to go for people to kind of equally perceive the abilities of European players? I kind of feel like people that are in the States uh, being oblivious to all the talent in Europe just aren't really either basketball fans or they really don't have the understanding of what's going on and like where a lot of guys are coming from. A lot of players are coming from overseas now and it's been like that for years, you know? So I was in Greece watching Luca play and I knew then like, oh yeah, he's, he's going to be like extremely good. Like, and he was only 18 at the time. <laughs> so I'm like, how is an 18 year old doing this to grown, like full grown men and making it look yeah. easy at that? And it wasn't like he was averaging 30 points. It was just he was always making the right play, always making the best decision. And when it came down to crunch time, you don't want the ball in nobody else's hand but his, you know. And I'm not surprised. I'm surprised he didn't go number one. That's the only thing I always think about with Luka. Because you got a six eight point guard, you know, who – y'all going to compare him to Dirk Nowitzki? He's not Dirk Nowitzki. <laughs> He's nowhere close to that, you know. But it's just people being oblivious to the fact that they think the NBA is the best – league in the world it's the most exposed leagues in the world but there's so much talent throughout the entire world man you'd be fully surprised yeah i mean luca's ability to control the game is kind of like especially at his age and control the the pace of the game um control the flow of the game it's just it's kind of once in a generation stuff um and it's going to be amazing you know i'm saying when you're 10 11 12 years old playing basketball your whole life, bread, eat, sleep, basketball, you know, the stuff he's doing, it becomes second nature. You know, I wish they had stuff like that in the States. <laughs> like you just go to school and when you don't want to go to school no more, all right, I could go play for this club kind of a thing. You know, if they had mm. stuff like that, it would be really dope. Yeah. Um, so just to segue to the next stage of your career, um, you ended up in Canada playing for the Lightning. Did you just create a rule for yourself for the rest of your remaining of your career that you're only going to play for teams uh, with London in the name? Yeah, definitely. London only. <laughs> I know uh, my main thing with going to Greece was I just my, my I was having a son. So I just wanted to be as close as possible. So when the time came, I could just be able to fly back, stay for a week or two, not have any issues and then come back and play, you know, and that was, that was one of the most, probably the most exciting thing I ever had in my life, coming to father, honestly. Mm-hmm. And you um, played in that Canadian league. How would you describe the state of basketball in that country? It's getting there. I kind of feel like the newer league they have now, brings in a lot more talent than the actual uh, NBL league that was already set up. I know like a lot of um, my guys from Canada that play overseas, they come back and play there in the summertime, but 
Um, a good friend of mine, Xavier Moon, he just got MVP again, and they won the championship. So hopefully the Toronto Raptors try to call him up or something, because I know they played my guy last year, man. He was he was doing great with their 905 team. I don't know what happened. Yeah, Nick well, that, Nurse, this is this talk. I'm talking to you, Nick. This to Nick Nurse. <laughs> yeah, I, I assume you know a lot about Nick's uh, history in the UK. Yeah, he's a big, big, real. Got a lot of, lot of love out here. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was the as well as coaching in Birmingham. He was also the GM in Brighton, and he was kind of responsible for when Dennis Rodman came and played like two games. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah, he brought Dennis over for two games. Yeah. <laughs> he was on a reality show and then he came out of the reality show, played two games of basketball and then flew back. Um, and I think he spent a lot of time in uh, gentlemen's clubs, but that's a whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so as well as the signing of yourself in London, your arrival is very exciting, but uh, the Lions have also got DeAndre Liggins and now Byron Mullins. Um, major experience at a high level there. Um, how much are you looking forward to getting on the court together? Man, already the chemistry is getting there. You know, playing with guys like that, you know, you just got to know, like, it's, it's no BS. You got to come ready to pray every day. You got to come to practice every day. You got to be open and listening because these are the guys that play at the level you, you were trying to get to at one point, you know, so all that advice I could get, all the knowledge I get, I'm always open to it because they know, you know, they've experienced it. And DeAndre's real cool. I know Byron's just got here, but we we hang out a little bit. He's real cool too. So I it's gonna be scary, man. Like, you know, we still got Justin, MVP, and Joe, um, big curve. Dirk Williams gonna have a really good year, I wanna say. Like Dirk's a Dirk's a bucket. We got uh, Josh, Chris, Ed, Lucius. Like, it, it just keeps Jules, you know, Kingsley. It, the list just keeps going on and on with so much talent we got. Like, when we're practicing, it's like it's no starting five. You know, it's like when we lose, whoever loses, they want to stay with their team so we can play the same game. But they usually always switch the teams up. So, it's, it, it's really competitive, man. Like, it's super competitive in practice right now. Yeah, and I, I think that hopefully if this experiment with the Champions League goes well and you guys, you know, with that kind of elevated name uh, within the squad um, kind of perform as well as you can, I feel as though it will do something at least in terms of building the reputation of basketball in this country because we do have a way to go, but it's a really exciting time. So thank you very much for your time today, Kevin. Um, it's great to see you thriving in a professional setting after you know one of the most challenging things we've ever seen in basketball history so really well done and i wish you the absolute best of luck against every single bbl team except for my, my leicester riders i knew you was going to, i just knew it was leicester or, or newcastle i knew it was one of the other. <laughs> but thank yeah. you so much man i appreciate you bringing me on your podcast it's, i'm definitely looking forward to the season whenever we can talk again just let me know Thanks again to Kevin Ware for his time this week and thank you to you for listening. So be sure to check out our work at doubleclutch.uk. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitch, Twitter and YouTube. Until next time, farewell.